Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. This week, and I'm there now, Acts 16, we're going to look at verse 16, and we're reading on through. It says this, once, when we were going to the place of prayer, this is Paul writing, we were met by a female slave, sorry, Luke writing, a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet into the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Amen. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house, into his house, and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Amen. I want to just spend a little bit of time, I promise. If there's anything like this morning, you might want to get a cup of coffee. But I want to spend a bit of time this afternoon just sharing with you some things I believe that this story will help you in to be a waymaker through some of the most toughest seasons of your life. You know, I find it interesting in this story that it's quite a famous story, and I've heard quite a lot of people preach on this in terms of the, the whole idea of Paul and Silas being chained up. But 
one of the things I, I do is I like to do is sometimes look at the context of stories and I like to find out why did they get in this scenario? What is it that made them get into a situation where they were imprisoned in the first place? Because I don't know about you, but as a Christian, sometimes you can do all the right things but end up in the wrong places or what you think is the wrong place. So you can do all the right things for God, but find yourself in situations that actually you think, this is not meant for me. I shouldn't be here. This, is not, this was not on the card when I signed up to church. To be in this season, in this predicament. And um, so when I look back at the story, I realized in Acts chapter 16, what happened is just before this is that Paul and Silas were with the team, were walking along one day, and every day they'd see this woman, this fortune teller, who would kind of hang around them, and she'd be pointing out, and have we got the scripture up there, what she says um, to them? I think it's up there, isn't it? Verse 17, there we go. She's following after them, and she's shouting out this, these men, pointing at Paul and Silas, these men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, when I read this, I looked and I thought, I don't know why Paul would be so annoyed with such a message. Because there is not one thing in this message that's wrong. It's all true. In fact, if you, there's not many evangelists will show up on Tuesday night and say things like this on the streets. You know, some people wouldn't even speak like this. But this woman, this fortune teller, This person that we know that Paul turns around to and speaks to, not the woman, he speaks to the spirit. says, come out of her because he realizes there's something wrong. What is it that made him think this is wrong when she keeps saying the truth? I'll tell you what it is. This woman, and we've got it in our society today, probably even worse than then, is what I call a false waymaker. You see, the problem we have today is this. There are so many religions, so many versions, so many things out there today that confuse the gospel. People don't really know who Jesus is anymore. And so what's happening here is the the enemy, and we know that Satan masquerades as an angel of light... He comes along and what he does is he twists this by saying, I'm not going to show up and just so you can see me, but I'm going to work in a way that I confuse the gospel and dull down the gospel by mixing it with something else. You've got to remember that this woman had an audience already. The woman has an audience that says, we want to follow you because you tell us the future. You're our way maker. You tell us the things of the future. So we, you're our guide. You're our spiritual guide. So what happens is she then brings this truth mixed with her false identity, who she is. And so what happens is people get confused. I want to tell you today that there are many religions out there, and I'm not afraid to say it, but people say, oh, you know, this is the way. You'll go to the local mosque, they'll tell you, we believe in Jesus. Oh yeah, we believe in Jesus. Yes, he was a healer. But the reality is this. Let me tell you, there's only one God. His name, his son is Jesus, but he is the one. He is the way, the truth, the life. 
There's no other God. There's no other name by which you can be saved. And the problem we have today is that, you know, you go down the street, some people who, who, who know me would put me in no different context to a Jehovah's Witness. Because that's what they think. We're all in the same boat. I was watching a TV program the other day, a, a, a quiz show, when they answer the questions. They put, in this TV show, the answer was that they put the, the Jehovah's Witnesses in the same context as a Christian religion. They are not the same thing. Now, what does Paul do? What ends up getting him in prison is that he makes the message clear. We are called, and the title of this message is making it clear. We're called as believers, if we want to be waymakers for God, in the, in the season and the times we're living in, which, let me tell you, are getting tougher, we have to stand up for truth. We've, I've just been talking about the Christian Institute. You've got to stand up for truth. There are people right now around you in your workplaces, in your colleges, in your schools that are declaring things and they will mix up the gospel. You have to stand up for truth. It's time. Why? Because when you make it clear, you stand up with a life of a message that you carry that says, I'm not just going to be comfortable just for to keep my life good. I'm going to stand out from the crowd. And so what happens is Paul says, you know, I know that message she's saying is, is true, but this is wrong. We've got to deal with this because it's watering down. The enemy's trying to make it look like it's an option that we could use her to be a waymaker. She's a false waymaker. She's watering down the gospel. It's time for us to stand up and be the waymakers for God. Stand up for truth. And the moment they do it, they turn around. They say, Spirit, come out of her. What happens next? The owners realize she's not making any money. They get angry. Let me tell you, you've got problems when you're a waymaker. Well, you've got problems when you make the message clear. Because you make the message clear and you get into more problems. Now do you want to be a Christian? But it's true. I'm not going to preach a nice message for you. It's true. You want to stand out and make it clear, and that's what you're called to do. You're going to start, you're going to start rustling up some feathers. Now, the only thing she was interested in making and her owners is money. Not a way, money. They were interested in making people realize the way to true life. And it's better to stand up for truth rather than a lie. So what happens is they do, they become what I believe are true, authentic waymakers. They say, I'm not going to be across, I'm not going to be lukewarm in this, I'm going to stand up for truth. And the moment I stand up for truth and I say I'm a waymaker, what happens next? They get shut up into prison. Let me tell you, we're going to see seasons in the future where you're going to see more and more people get persecuted. More and more people, and it's not just going to be, I'm not talking about flogging, I'm talking about persecuted for what you believe. You just look at social media. What people believe, you're nurtured and conditioned into a way of thinking. And it's time to stand up for truth, people. Make it clear. That's the title of this message. We need to make it clear. Matthew 7, 15 says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they're ferocious wolves. Watch out for these people. They look. It looks okay. 
But in reality, they're wolves underneath. Making it clear. Maybe you feel today like you have stood up for truth and it got you in a position where you feel even worse than what you were before. Maybe right now you have stood up for truth in your life in different scenarios, in your walk with God, with people around you, you stood up for truth. You stood up for what you believe was right, but actually it's put you in a worse position. And it's put you in a position like a prison. It's put you in a position like them, where it says that they were put into stocks in the inner cell. And then, the, and, and, and get this, and I, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, or ever thought about this, but every time I've ever had this message preached, I just think about Paul and Silas singing hymns and, and, and worshipping and, and praying while they're in the stocks and, you know, kind of humming along. And I never really thought about this, but before they were put in the stocks, they were severely flogged. Now just picture this for a moment, because you've not got Paul and Silas sat there in a living room with a keyboard in the background, with all the angels descending and everyone worshipping together. You have got Two people severely beaten. Wounds on their back. Open wounds. In pain and agony. But they decide, verse 25, that during the night, they decide at midnight, they decide to worship and pray. Now, I don't know how you feel today, but some of you right now are living... Today, with the wounds of yesterday. So you, you carry the wounds of your, the people who've hurt you on your back. You carry those wounds and sometimes what happens is this. You find it hard to worship because of the wounds. So what happens is we don't worship because, let me tell you, whatever you focus on is where your faith rests on. So we focus on our wounds rather than our worship. So now we we say, I can't believe that that person did this to me. I can't believe that person stole from me. And all the time our mind is concentrating on our wounds. But I find it amazing that they decide to say, I'm not going to concentrate on the wounds. I'm going to concentrate on the worship. And so they decide to sing. And by the way, it says that they prayed and sang hymns. They prayed and sang hymns to God. And I love this, while the other prisoners listened to them. You know, if you can't get on the worship team here and you can't get people to listen to you, then there's always someone who's going to listen to you. They ain't got much choice really, did they? Obviously they were held captive to listen. But can I just say, just get this. What I'm trying to say is this. As a waymaker... God has given you a mouth. Some of us think that God's going to do everything. I ask the question, why is it that God, if he wants them to be in there, why didn't he just come in and do what he's going to do without them doing anything? It's because he calls us in our darkest season to open our mouths. Uh, Proverbs 15, is it 26, it says this, that, Verse 25, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Now, you know that that can be the context of how you speak to people and what you do. But ultimately, what I'm trying to say is this. This little muscle inside here 
is actually a weapon. It's a weapon. It's, it's something that's so powerful that God's given you that you can either use it to destroy people, actually make yourself feel worse, or you can bring life and change situations. I'm not just trying to... This is what the Bible says. It says that life and death are in the power of your tongue. Now, James chapter 3 talks about taming the tongue. So it talks about in a negative way, in the, in the, in the whole context of the, our tongue, you know, we've got to be really careful with it, what it can do, the damage that it can do. How many of you know that, you know, your tongue can do a lot more damage than most things? So our tongue can do a lot of damage. But let's just, let's just reverse this, because if, if James is saying that, and we know that Proverbs 15.25 says that life and death are in the power of the tongue, we realize that our tongue can be used, and it's used all the way through the Bible, as a way and a means of a positive thing. Now, you've got to try and change this and use it for the positive. And as a way maker, what they realize is that we need to use our mouths, we need to use our words and our worship despite the pain of our wound. So we've got, to, we've got to turn this on its head. And if we do, I believe God is going to break through. He's going to break through for us. Something is going to change. This darkest hour is going to change. Now, I hate to say this, but some of you today, and, and I'm going to have to speak truth, but I, I think Peter mentioned it last week. We were talking about this the other week. But the reality is this. Many people think, you hear preachers say all the time, evangelists, Today's your breakthrough. The reality is, I've got some news for you today. Prophetic word. Today ain't your breakthrough. Oh, if you need to leave, we'll give you a few minutes. Today's not. If I was to preach to you and tell you that today's your breakthrough, I'd be lying. How do I know that today is your breakthrough? It's It's wrong. If you'd have said to them, today's your breakthrough, when they were being whipped, and you cannot say that. The reality is, can you worship God through your pain? Tell you, you've got breakthrough if you can do that. That's breakthrough. I'm speaking truth to you because some of us think we get into this whole, this whole um, view that actually, you know, if we come in and the the preacher says it and we sing a few songs that we're just going to talk ourselves into the fact we've got a breakthrough. The problem is you get in the car, go home and things go wrong and the day's worse and you think, I ain't really got a breakthrough. I'm going to tell myself I've got a breakthrough. If I whip myself up to think I've got a breakthrough, the reality is if the breakthrough isn't there, don't worry. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes there's a time for everything. Now, now, now listen to me. There's another side to this. You serve the God of the breakthrough. Whether you get one or not is another thing. In the time you want is a very different thing. But what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. Your mouth is the key towards the breakthrough. So God has given you this. Now, you can either be quiet and not say anything and take the pain, and you'll, focus, you'll lose focus. Or you can say, God, I'm going to turn this around. I want to bring a few points to you this afternoon to help you. In terms of using your prayer and worship and just mixing that together, I guess. Of how they responded. What did it do for them? Number one is this. It makes way for a supernatural reaction. 
When you pray, pray and worship, and you use your mouth in the right context, you know, James 3 says that it, we can, our, our tongue can bring great boasts, make great boasts. But let me tell you, you can make great breakthroughs with it as well. And so you can shift things. And it says this, verse 26, suddenly, we all like suddenlies, don't we? In fact, I think that Dwayne White, last year when he came, his message was suddenly. I mean, I like a good suddenly, as long as it's a positive one. I've had some suddenlies in the last year. They weren't always positive, but we can all have some suddenlies. We love a good suddenly. But remember, verse 26, it says suddenly. Verse 25 says they prayed and worshipped. So let me tell you, all suddenlies really have perseverance behind them. There's a perseverance that comes from prayer and worship that releases the suddenly. You see, if you read verse 26 without verse 25, you forget what they did. Now God does this, but what did they do first? Suddenly, I love this, there was a violent earthquake. Wouldn't you love it with that person at work that you've had a problem with when you walked in the office tomorrow? And suddenly... When that person said to you and they said that bad word again to you, they made you feel terrible that the whole room shook. Come on, look, it just shows how many people got problems at work. Or college, wherever you are. You know, you go in and, and that person comes and says that rude thing to you and you're just like, you've been praying all night and then all of a sudden, the whole room shakes. Ha, told you. My God is greater. It says that the foundations of the prison were shaken. You shake the foundations of my office. You tell those people. At once, all the prison doors flew open. And everyone's chains came loose. Now look, this is not just a little natural earthquake. There is purpose in this earthquake. There's purpose. God's behind this earthquake. It's not just it shook and everyone said, did anyone just feel that little tremor? No. The whole foundation shook, the doors open, and the chains come loose. It's very specific, isn't it? Now at that point, if you were them, you want to run. (laughs) Wow, God, you answered my prayer. You know these people are evil. It's time to leave. You're on my side, the sovereign God. I'd have, if it had been me, I'd have been running out of there saying, I told you so. <laughs> but interestingly, they stay. They stay. Wow. They stay. You see, the problem is sometimes, like last week, we looked at the whole thing on fate perspective with our destiny. In other words, you know, que sera, sera. I'm just going to trust, trust you, God. Whatever happens, you'll just lead me. I'm just going to ride this boat with you and you'll take me wherever you're going to take me. We don't want to make any decisions. Some people can have a fate perspective on dilemmas as well as destiny. In other words, the trouble I'm I'm in, God's just brought me into this and I'm just going to ride this storm out. I'm just going to wait on God to get me out of this. But the reality is he calls you in the storm to sing. Now, are you singing? That's the question. Are you singing and are you praying in the storm? Are you really declaring consistently what you did when it was sunshine on your life to when it's raining in your life? Because that's the question. That is the fundamental thing. 
Are you doing that because your dilemmas, you cannot live with a fate perspective of, you know, I serve God, so everything should work okay for me. Now, I, a while back, I, like, I, I mentioned it this morning, I like Amazon, and I like when I order at Christmas, you don't have to leave to the house, and you can just order everything online. It's, you put everything in the basket, and on Amazon, they give an option every now and again, do you want to join the Prime membership? You know, you have to pay for it. And every now and again, I take the free option, you know, month's trial or whatever. And, and I joined this, and once I accidentally got charged for it, but it was nice. I thought I was getting it for free, but I was actually paying for it. But the Prime membership means I get things instantly, pretty much. You know, you order it today, you'll get it tomorrow. You know, the postman's there before you even woke up. He's knocking on your door, you, here you go. And we expect everything to happen so quickly, and, 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 and we're now a Prime member. You know, I can select the button, Prime Membership. The problem is, is that as Christians, we do this with our, our faith. We get into this mentality that we've been serving God for a long time now. I, I'm a Prime member. In fact, do you know what? God spoke to me about a month ago, and I, I've started tithing now after six years. I started giving. I've started upping, I've upped my game a little bit. Now I'm on the prime membership level. Now I'm giving in. Now I'm doing all these things. And what happens is, we, we, in our mind, the devil gets us in a place where we think we're in prime membership. So we expect everything and do nothing. Expect everything. We expect premium service from God. Waiting for the deliverer. Waiting for him to deliver the breakthrough without absolutely doing nothing at all. Oh, why? Because ah, I go to all the services. I'm a regular. I give. Huh. I'm everything God wants me to be. So it's up to him now to give me what I want in my time. The reality is that's wrong. The reality is that you, God does not owe you anything. You don't pay your way for God to give you a breakthrough. He wants our lives as an offering before him. He says, I'm not interested in your membership. <clears throat> I'm interested in your life. Are you a living stone? That's alive. That in the darkest seasons you will worship me even though you haven't got anything. This is the key. Where are, where's your faith right now? Where is your faith? In Exodus chapter 14, Moses crossing the Red Sea, great story. What does he have to do? He raises his staff. He uses the staff. You say, I ain't got a staff. He's given you a voice. I might start giving staffs out. We should sell them downstairs. No, we'll get into trouble for selling. King's Church staffs. Branded. Come on, Joe, can you sort that out on Monday? Some of, you haven't got a staff. Joshua chapter 6, coming up to the walls of Jericho. You've got to break through. You've got to see this breakthrough. We've got to see breakthrough. He says you'll see breakthrough. You, you say, I, I've not got seven priests with seven trumpets and an Ark of the Covenant to get through this. I've not got all that. So I'm just going to keep quiet and trust God. We're in a new covenant. No, you've not got the Ark of the Covenant. No, you've not got seven priests. No, you've not got seven trumpets. You've got your mouth. And you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. New covenant. New season. New way. 
Waymakers. Called to make a way. I, I mean, wait a minute. Why did God not just bring down the walls immediately? See, I've given you this place. No. You've got to walk around six times on the seventh day. You've got to do this, this, and this. You, you've got to do these things. And when you do them, and you trust me, it all sounds crazy when you read it. Why? Why, God? He's looking for trust. Because trust and faith release God's power. Simple as that. What's the significance, God? I don't understand. Why does everyone have to stand in this... Or we might just do it different. You see, when they did that and they were walking around, the instruction was, don't raise a war cry yet. Some of us want to raise a war cry. We want to open our mouths when we're not supposed to open our mouths. We want to do things out of sync. The whole point is, it's not about the specifics. It's about, is you, are you willing to trust God's instructions? If you are, that, that allows him to see faith. When he sees faith, he'll release his power. We're called to be waymakers. Paul and Silas didn't see their breakthrough until they worshipped their way through the circumstance. And he's calling you to do the same as well. He says it was midnight and their minds, come on, they could have been on the, the pains of the wounds of the past. Injustice served against them. Things that have happened to them. The wounds that they have on their back that they could be, God, you don't understand. These people did this to us. How many of you know that God brings you to some of these places sometimes for a reason? I mean, we see the reason. We see the reason. What the fruit it brings of the pain and the persecution that they went through. But some of us, what we do is we give up. We say, uh, hang on. I'm going to focus on the fact that I ain't seen nothing, only my pain. So I don't know if I can worship you because I'm not seeing any change. If you look in Mark chapter 11, you'll see the story of Jesus cursing the fig tree. In verse 20, it says this, in the morning, and this is after, so it's the day after when Jesus cursed it the day before. It says, in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. In verse 22, Jesus responds and says this, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, he's not talking about a tree, he's talking about a mountain now, a bit bigger. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes, and get, a, get this again, what they say, using your mouth, what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Now, now the, the problem is that some of us in our worship, we started worshiping at midnight. We started worshiping in the dark season. And what happened is, just like the fig tree, when Jesus spoke to the fig tree, they didn't see it die then. They see it die the next day. Why? Because the death began at the root. The breakthrough, you tell that tree that day when they spoke to it, today's your, day, your breakthrough day. He said, no, it's not. It's tomorrow. Because actually the reality is the tree died and they saw the, the change the next day. 
Some of us right now, what we've got to start doing is, is not giving up our worship and prayer just because we don't see it on the outside. What's happening in the soil is different to what's happening above. And your breakthrough could be coming. The, the reality is, what we do is we say, I can't do this anymore, God. So we, what we do is we concentrate on the wounds and we say, I'm not going to do this anymore because nothing's happening. No change. And God wants to turn around and shake us and say, you don't realize what's happening in the soil. You don't realize where the deaths began in this situation, the change that's taking place. But I want you to worship because every time you worship and pray, breakthrough is coming. Oh, but I want to see it now. I want to see it instant. I find it very interesting. This is quite, scripture is very contradicting in a lot of times. You see, the problem is, is sometimes I could preach a message to you this afternoon and I could say, you know, Lazarus is in the grave. And he says, if I believe that healing's going to come, I believe that resurrection is going to come, he speaks to him and he comes alive. And so many of us could say, well, you preach a message on breakthrough. We've got a belief for breakthrough, instant miracles. But God decides when things happen. So I can preach that way, but in this circumstance, they had to wait. And we've got to learn sometimes that just because it didn't happen when I spoke it doesn't mean that God's not with me. You know, I mean, how many times I've seen lots of healings, but sometimes I've seen people not get healed. I'm sorry, but I I can't explain that. I don't know. I'm not God. All I know is he called me to pray for the sick. So I keep praying for the sick. If I don't see him get healed, I just keep praying for the sick. But some people say, no, I, I didn't see it happen. So I'm giving up on the whole healing thing. It's not happening for me. It's just, not my, it's just not my gift. Listen, just keep stepping out. And keep believing and God will use you. He really will. Hallelujah. I put here the way out of your valley depends on what you declare in your valley. You see, it, it, it really is. In your valley times, it's all about what you declare. Satan's biggest objective of your life He knows he can't change your salvation, but he knows he can change the way you speak. If I can get that person to concentrate on the wounds of yesterday, on the wounds of their pain of the valley, they won't start talking about God. They won't declare the victory. They'll declare their devastation over the problem. They'll declare the things that's happening, all of the negative things. How many of you, sometimes you walk through your valley and you listen to yourself after a day, and actually, you're quite negative. You've told people all the negatives. You go meet your friends. You'd prefer to meet and tell them all the negatives rather than the things that God's going to do. Isn't it interesting? We, never, we, we love to tell people the problem, but we don't like to tell Jesus the, the solution, what he can do. Oh, I, I much prefer to just talk about the problem. A problem shared is a problem halved. Listen, you, you share it with God, and he'll, he'll, he'll get rid of it. He wants to take your burdens. Cast your anxieties upon me. Don't phone your friend up and and, and put someone else down. Come and talk to me. Some of us don't want to talk to God. Because we know what he'll say. It's how you declare in your valley that changes things. Number two, our prayer and worship makes way for a sincere response. 
Acts 16 verse 29 says, The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? If only kings on the streets was as easy as that. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your whole household, your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. It's interesting, isn't it, that what we see there is, is that he asks how, but then they have to share the word of God. Some people are on a journey. They need to be told. That's why things like Alpha and all the things that we put in place are essential. Not everyone's going to get it straight away. And some people, you may be here today and you're on a bit of a journey with God. But they get it over time. But what do we see here? That The first thing the jailer does is all the lights go out. And everything, the, the whole place shakes. Everyone's chains fall off and all the doors open. And the first thing he does is he shouts and says, Someone turn the lights on. Can't see a thing. The next thing he does, he falls to his knees and he trembles. He says, what do I need to do to be saved? Now get this. When you worship and pray and you make it clear the gospel and you stand for truth, no matter what season it takes you into, God will switch the whole thing around and now they became the jailers and he became the prisoner. Because now he says, what do I need to do to be free? You see, the the thing is this, they could have walked out. So now what he's saying is, I want to know what it is because I feel like a captive and I want to be free. So could it be right now that your season you're in, the darkest time of your life, that God's put you there? He's put you in this place so that you can be the answer to someone else. That actually will flip it the other direction and you become the one who has the keys to life for them. I find it amazing. I find it amazing that when they stand up for truth, oh, it looks like, oh, do you, have you seen Paul and Silas? They're a bit fanatic. They've gone, they've gone for the full truth. They, they put the fortune teller down. They kind of, they don't like that, but I, I'd, I'd rather keep it comfortable. But listen, when they stood for truth, they got the fruit. So they see the fruit. They see an opportunity. There's something inside of me tells me that when Paul and Silas were there, no matter how painful the wounds were, that they said to themselves, this is why we're here. Don't move everyone. Because God wants us to do something. Talk about a div app, as Joe would call them, divine app, appointment. Talk about a divine appointment. You can walk free, but you take that as an opportunity. You say, hang on, don't move anyone. This is God. This is God. You know when we made it clear, this is what happens. We've made a way now for the gospel to get in. And look, the very person that was on the team of people with the magistrates that flogged us would have probably been stood there and watched. We want to share the gospel with this person. The person who watched me as I got that wound on my back that's absolutely painful. I don't care about that. I care about this person now. And and God's given us an opportunity to make a way into his heart. And listen, at that moment at time, 
you'd expect an angel to come down and help them and share the gospel with the jailer. But it was them who had to do it. They're the way makers. They're the ones who have to operate with God to release the word of God into his life. Hallelujah. You see, this is what you call a sincere response. He falls to his knees. He falls to his knees and trembles. This is the jailer. I mean, I, I've been in church for a long time. As a young boy, I was growing up in church. I've been out to the front more times and got saved than you know it. You know, you get a guest speaker in and think, wow, am I really saved? I'd be out of the front. Yeah, I'd give my life to Jesus again. But the reality was I never really meant it. When you live for truth and you make it clear the gospel, people get the gospel and they understand what real, the real thing is. When they understand what the real thing is and they really get it, they'll give everything. So they'll give everything of their lives to that. The problem is some people today don't hear the gospel in its entirety. They don't hear what Jesus did for them. So they don't fully give themselves to it. And, and this jailer, he responds and he trembles and he gets on his knees. It's a sincere response. I believe that as we stand up for truth and, and reality in this place and authenticity, it will give authority. And authority will draw people to a sincere response. I don't want responses that are wishy-washy, that have no real foundation to them. And when the storms of life come in, people just crash. They've got to understand the real thing is the real deal. And that's going to mean standing up for truth sometime. Many years ago, I, I used to hang around and if you'd have saw me, I'm not even going to share the pictures on Facebook, but I used to, I used to wear a baseball cap with the ear, I had the earrings in. She keeps laughing every time I tell her. And I, you used to see me in, in the 90s. Wow. <laughs> Things have changed slightly. But I used to, I used to go to nightclubs. I'd be, I'd be going around all the places you don't want to go. And I used to do that. And, I'd, and, and you know, I'd, I'd take drugs and I'd drink. And I was with the wrong crowd. And when I did all these things, I used to hang around in these places. And I'd be dancing to songs. And there was a, a song in the 90s. It was called, I Got the Key. I've Got the Secret. I've Got the Key to Another Way. And I'd be dancing to all these kind of songs. And those were written by people who were talking about drugs and what life they could have. But I realized something when Jesus set me free. In 2002, I gave my life to Jesus and I came back to him. And I really did mean it. Because when I caught hold of what he'd done for me, and I caught hold of the truth, I realized this is worth giving everything for. So I gave my life to him. And then I realized something, that what I thought was the key and the secret to life, actually, now I've been given the keys to the kingdom. Now I've been given, Matthew 16 verse 19 says that, he says to Peter, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. I've got the key, people. I've got the secret to another way. And it's my responsibility to tell people about it. Because I'm a way maker. One who's going to bring truth and set people free. And he's called you as well. He's called you as well to take those keys and release people. You see, the reality is Paul and Silas have the keys. Before they looked at him through the, you know, through the cell. 
He's got the key to our freedom. But they worship God and they realize God's given us ability now for us to bring freedom to the captive. We've got the key. We've got the secret. We've got the way. And I'm going to share it and tell people about it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If we've been given the keys from Jesus in Matthew 16, what better person to get keys from? One who can get out of a grave. You want, you want to get some good keys, get it from someone who was dead and is now alive. Who was inside a grave and the tomb had to move. The grave couldn't hold him. He died for us. He was put in that grave and he has the ability to break through a grave. If there's any person you want to take keys from, it's him. And he's given you those keys. Resurrection life, hallelujah. Sincere response, when we live and stand for truth, we make the message clear. It cost them a night in prison, it cost Jesus' life to make the message clear. This is the message, the message of the cross. I'm so glad that my parents, for many years before I gave my life to Jesus in 2002, and I ended up coming to this church, I'm so glad they prayed for me. So I'm, I'm just, I've got to, I really felt encouraged to share with this morning and today for people who have family members who have fallen away from God, who have backslidden, who don't know Jesus, listen, now's the time to keep on praying. Now, the devil wants you to just give up. There's nothing happening. These they're just a different type of person. They just won't accept it. I, I know that type of person. They don't accept it. Since when were you the one who decides whether someone accepts the gospel? It's like we, we categorize people into that person's not ready yet. Since when did you decide? Would you have said that the jailer was ready to receive the gospel? When he watched them, Probably being flogged and then puts them in and bangs them in the inner cell and takes the instructions from the magistrates, would you expect him to be one who receives the gospel? No. Listen to me. The breakthrough wasn't straight away. But listen, keep on praying. Keep on worshipping. Because God is going to do it. He will break through. He responds to your prayers. He responds to your worship. And some of us want to just sit back and say, no, I'll just wait and see if God can do it. If he's sovereign, he'll do it. I put it that every believer carries a lifelong responsibility to reveal the way to a life-changing response. You've got a responsibility to reveal it to people. That people will come with a sincere response. I love this in Acts 16, 33. He says, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. Do you know what's amazing about that? They put their worship before their wounds. Now you say, well, they made it clear to the fortune teller. Now they're making it clear to him. We want to share the gospel with you rather than talk about the wounds that we've got. They could have spent time with the jailer saying, why did you do this to us? Why did you allow these people to do this to us? Look at, the, look at what you did to us. We're in pain. But they didn't do that. Now they wanted to share the gospel with the jailer despite the wounds. They were more interested in the words of their mouth in worship and telling them the gospel 
than the wounds on their back. And listen, that's what got the jailer. Because the jailer, when he responds to them, the first thing he wants to do is wash their wounds. I find that amazing. He takes them back to his home, gives them a meal and washes their wounds. It's like, hang on, you've made it clear to me. This is not just a message. You live for this. You're prepared to put your life down. You're prepared to love your enemies. You're prepared to talk to me even though you've got wounds that I was stood watching. This is amazing. This is different to the woman who tells fortune, who tells people their future. You live this. So I want to respond to you and I want to, I get the gospel now, so I get it that I've got to wash your wounds. That actually, I want to, all I want to do is love you. So I want to give you, I want to bless you. He washes their wounds. Some of you are waiting for, to talk to people about your wounds rather than loving on them. Jesus said we've got to, I think Matthew chapter 5, we've got to love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Wow. Think of that person right now. Every one of you. There's a person who you know has hurt you the most in your life. You know that person right now. I want to ask you to do something today. Go home and pray for them. And love them. You watch what will happen. Pray for them and love them. No matter what they've done, not one person that can ever do anything to you, you would, could not do back to them. There's nothing. Every person is capable of sinning and doing damage. So that person that's hurt you, your enemy, pray for them. Pray for them. And love them. Don't wait for your wounds of injustice to heal before you worship and pray for people. Do it when you're in pain. Hallelujah. Finally, I come to a close. Our prayer and worship makes way for a sovereign release. (laughs) A sovereign release. You know, it says this in verse 35. When it was daylight, you see, breakthrough does eventually come. The night comes to an end. Daylight comes. The magistrates, these are the people, remember, who ordered the flogging. They now send a message. Sent their officers to the jailer with the order. Release those men. Wow. (laughs) You never thought that would come in. Release those men. The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Do you know when God says it's time to get out and he's time to release you, he will release you. There is a time for everything. There's a time for you to be in the storm and to come out of the storm because God will refine you in the fire. He's, He's refining your faith. He's refining your journey. But he's looking at how you will respond. And I love this because actually they were superficially released by the magistrates. But supernaturally released by a majestic God. The, the reality is that 
they knew deep down that yeah, your magistrates have done this, but you don't realize God's really in charge here. You see, you've got to understand that some of you right now are relying on legalities. You're relying on magistrates. You're relying on courts. You're relying on different things for getting papers to come and move to this country or whatever. Whatever it is you're relying on. You're relying on people with authority. You're relying on the people in hospitals who determine different things over your life. You're relying on all these voices. But let me tell you, there is a God who is sovereign above all. He gives the breath in your mouth. And no matter what anyone says over your life, no matter what people are saying over you, there's a message that's very clear today. No matter what's happening, you serve a majestic God and He supernaturally releases you. He takes care of you. He watches over you. Now I like all the the people that we serve. We've got to pray for the kings of the land. We've got to pray for the people with authority. But the reality is He has all the authority. You know, you want to take it to the judge, the supreme judge almighty. God has got your case in hand. He's got it in hand. In John chapter 19 verse 11, Jesus is with Pilate. And he says this, Pilate's kind of questioning him. And he has the authority and power to send him to be crucified. He's got the pressure upon him. Jesus responds, he says, you would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. In other words, you think you've got power? Yeah, it looks like it. Do you realize who's pulling the strings here? Do you realize that you might have all the authority of everything you carry? You think you have the authority and it's going to look like you have. But the reality is there's the sovereign father in heaven who watches over me. And he is pulling the strings. He's determining what will happen. Because actually that which is meant for my harm is going to be for good. It's going to be for good. Because my season, if Jesus was talking, this is what I believe he'd say, my season right now that's dark is going to bring life. It's going to bring an opportunity. It's going to be the way. It's going to be the answer for every person on this planet. And I'm willing to go through my dark season so that others may have life. I'm willing. All the wounds on his back. He could have easily said, oh, look at this, the the wounds on me, what people have done, the crown of thorns. But no, he decides, no, I'm going to keep looking ahead for the joy, for the joy, for the joy set before me. For the joy set before me, not the wounds, the joy set before me. Because something victorious will come from it. Hallelujah. If the worship team want to come back, that would be great. Hallelujah. We read about it earlier in Exodus 14. And we looked at the whole idea of Moses. If there's any, any time you're going to sing about a way maker. And God making a way where there seems to be no way. I mean you look, you read the Old Testament stories of the children of Israel going through the desert. Get into the Red Sea. I mean, you get to the Red Sea. And you get to that point where you think God has brought deliverance. The sovereign God has released us. We've just been released. 
Now we're here. Hang on a sec. This is not right. See, chariots being chased by Pharaoh, who's now changed his mind. This is what's happening. We're, we're sandwiched in here. We trusted God. We thought it was a way maker. This is not a way. There's no way at all. No way. And at that time, we see here, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. I'm going to say to you, raise your voice. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. This miracle required them. It required Moses. It required faith. It required a raising of the staff. It required a raising of the hand. It required him to believe that he could instigate this miracle. So don't wait for God. Speak out. Do you realize your voice has the power to build roads, highways for God to move through? Bring life. And so there they are. They, they, they speak this and then they, they walk in. And, and get this. As they walk in, I don't know about you, but as they walk into this, this sea, you'd think as, the sooner that happens and they get on dry ground, you'd think they'd be thinking to themselves, oh, it's all okay now. But the thing is, I don't know about you, but if I was them and I looked behind me and saw that the chariots were still there and they, they could follow us, I'd, I'd be thinking still a little bit apprehensive. This is amazing, but can they still get us? And if you read Exodus chapter 15, do you know what they did? They sang. They sang. I believe they were still fearful. I mean, you would be pretty fearful seeing that kind of event, wouldn't you? And all these armies following you. You're not going to be calm. But they decide to sing. You read the song in Exodus 15. I'll let you read it yourself. Exodus 15, straight after this. They, they sing this song. In verse 20, it talks about Miriam. The prophet, she gets a tambourine out. And I believe that that praise through that fear and all that trial builds the way. And then the sea comes in and collapses on the enemy. God will deal with your problems. He'll release you when it's time to be released. He'll release you when it's time to be released. But he'll take care of your enemies. He'll take care of your problems. He'll take care of all the issues that you're faced with. But you've got to worship him. They didn't just walk through. They worshiped. They praised. They thanked God. They declared what he had done for them. What he was going to do for them. Amen. Come on, let's stand. Thank you for listening. And we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.